Oh, it's such an honour, Danny. Um, to be a part of this amazing podcast you're doing here, and it's just really cool to be talking about this book. You know my work, and you've given it a lot of thought, and um, I don't normally get such good questions, to be honest. <laughs> Your podcast is the one that I listen to when I want to listen to an interviewer who has actually read the books she's asking questions about <laughs> and asks really interesting, insightful questions about it, and I think that's really special. Thank you for your wonderful questions. It was a good chat. Great chat. You're a good interviewer. So enjoy listening to the podcast. That's brilliant what you do. Honestly, I'm so in awe and we need more word nerds like yourself, people that are passionate about books. Welcome and thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. On this podcast, we talk about books, the writing process and how literature changes the world. I'm usually your host, Danny V, but we're doing something a little different today, and author Will Kostakis is doing a Words and Nerds first by taking over the pod. Will interviews Sam Coley about his book State Highway 1, a stunning debut novel about what it means to come home. Enjoy this episode. Thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. First thing you've probably noticed is that this is not Danny speaking. I'm young adult author and Australia Reads ambassador, Will Kostakis, and I've been entrusted with this episode of Words and Nerds. Author Sam Coley and I will be chatting about his debut novel, State Highway One, the winner of the Ritual Prize for Emerging Writers. The novel follows recently reunited twins, Alex and Amy, as they travel the length of a New Zealand highway after the shock death of their parents. Welcome to Words and Nerds podcast, Sam. How are you? I'm great, thanks. Thanks for having me. Oh, look, it is our pleasure. Now, since this is your debut, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to writing? Um, yeah, I am from New Zealand originally. I live in Sydney now um, by way of England, where I lived for about six years. Um, but I've been in Australia now for four um, I always wrote since I was little. I think that's fairly common um, among writers. I, I don't know. I used to scribble in the back of exercise books when I was supposed to be playing, paying attention in class. Um, and in third form, which is uh, year nine for you Australians, um, I got pulled up in front of my third form dean because uh, I failed all of my exams except for English and he gave me quite a dressing down and told me um, that maybe I should be a writer since English was clearly the only thing that I was any good at. And I said, well, maybe I will be a writer then. <laughs> so, so um, yeah, and then it just it, it kind of went from there. I, I went to film school and I kind of stopped writing for about five years after I graduated. Um, but then when I was in London, in 2015, I was feeling um, pretty homesick um, after having been away for five years. So that's kind of when the idea of State Highway 1 came to me and I, I just started from there. And Wonderful. And now that we're on the topic of the book, could you treat us to your elevator pitch of what State Highway 1 is all about? Sure. Um, well, State Highway 1 kind of starts three years before the book does when Alex runs away from his family um, 
at no notice and takes a job in Dubai. He cuts all ties to his parents and his twin sister um, with whom he had a very fractious relationship growing up. They never liked each other and there's a lot of tension and jealousy in their relationship. Um, Fast forward three years, his parents die in a car accident and he has to come home for the first time to bury them. Um, He impulsively and kind of drunkenly after the wake decides with Amy that they will drive to the top of New Zealand to kind of say goodbye and really just to get away um, because they're not really grieving properly. Um, On the way back down, they can't process their grief properly. So instead of going back inside their childhood home, they decide impulsively to do this road trip of State Highway 1, driving all the way from the top of New Zealand to, to the bottom. First novels often feel like everything the author is absolutely <laughs> bursting to say. I mean, it was definitely the case with mine. Um, I want to know, is there a truth at the core of State Highway 1 beyond just that home that homesickness? So for me, it wasn't so much that feeling of homesickness as much as it was reconciling the idea of what home actually meant. Um, I had gone back to New Zealand for like a trip and um, there were a lot of um, loaded feelings, I guess, around that word home and whether I was allowed to, I'm putting in air quotes, sorry, this is an audio medium. Um, um you know, whether I was allowed to say, oh, I'm going home, you know, in two weeks, whatever. And some people got a little bit uh, antsy at my saying, because they were like, no, you are home. England is just a place you live. And I had this kind of big, deep think about that and this idea of what that word actually means, especially when you're living abroad. Um, And I think, so I knew that was going to be kind of central to to the story of the novel. And that realization for me that um, home doesn't necessarily have to just be one place um, is was kind of my journey of discovery if you will while I was writing uh, I moved from London to Adelaide and then again to Sydney um, while I was writing the novel so now I have you know a bunch of homes and, and I still I would still call them all home they're just different homes for me Early on, Alex reflects on his mother's film. She wrote it while pregnant with him and it ended with her strapping her child into a car seat before pushing it into the river and watching it float out to sea. Alex watches those final minutes over and over as a child. Did it weigh on you while writing this, how those in your life might read your work and which parts they might obsess over? Not really. Um, I think... My main, my main um, concern was that, you know, being first person present, that everybody would just assume that Alex was like a, a, just a straight facsimile of me and everything that he thinks is something that I think and everything he does is something I would do. I have a, like a great relationship with my parents um, and, and my family generally. So I never really worried that. Um, you know, that they, that like my mum would read it and think, oh my God, is that what Sam <laughs> thinks? But other things in the book, certainly, and which was further confirmed for me when my mum told me that um, when I sent a copy to my parents, apparently my dad would be like reading it and he'd just suddenly say out loud, like, oh no, Sam, that's a terrible idea. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> 
I think people who are close to me, um, a few people have struggled to divorce themselves from like my voice, from the protagonist's voice, which is probably the main thing that I was concerned about. I was writing because we're not. I mean, obviously, we're in some ways alike, but not that much. But that's the thing. Your style is so reflective of thoughts and thought processes. Danny and I both found the voice so authentic. It was just easy to get lost in. If Alex isn't you, how did you create his voice so strongly? Some things that come naturally when we're writing, uh, then once a book is out there, we have to sort of pick apart that subconscious work that we've been doing over years and years. And it's quite difficult to sort of find, you know, what it is that you were doing when you're in the weeds of it. Yeah. And uh, I mean, now starting a second book, I'm like, oh no, you know, what if, cause you know, what if I'm like, oh crap, they're all going to be the same. <laughs> um, I think like, I, I did a, I'm by no means an actor, but I did do a lot of um, acting, you know, like drama and stuff when I was, um, a teenager and, and a kid and I think I tried to do those same kind of acting techniques mm-hmm. um, where I would put put myself in the mind of Alex um, you know my parents are still very much alive and um, so I just tried to think you know how how could it like how could a person react or how would this person with the hurt and the kind of baggage the immense amount of baggage that he seems to carry around with him um and how butthurt he is all the time like how how would his thought processes be um working and i'm quite i think alex is sometimes he's very like shy and um anxious and i'm certainly prone to those kinds of thoughts and feelings myself so I just tried to kind of channel them and be like well you know if I was feeling really nervous what what would be going through my mind um I think I took risks that I might not have been brave enough to take um after a couple of glasses of wine certainly things with and not that it's like this mind-bending piece of literature but um taking some risks in terms of the like the way it's formatted and um, and structurally and even like the punctuation and um, lots of long sentences and, and lines that stop and start halfway through um, were definitely like bold, drunk decisions. <laughs> yeah, and the book has this, I don't know how to put it, like an almost dreamlike quality when I first read it, like slipping between time, moving between memories of knowing what is real and what isn't. And, you know, those long sentences that just flow beautifully into each other and sometimes crash into each other and those disjointed fragments. It made me think of this way of thinking or moving through life that's really reflective of suffering trauma or loss or pain or, you know, grief itself. I want to know, was that was all of that intentional or was that just sort of your subconscious mind sort of finding this voice? Um, it, it, it was intentional, I think. I feel like it was intentional. <laughs> um, I, I certainly, um, he was, 
he was a lot angrier when I when I first drafted it, and certainly for the first third of the book, he was much more um, snotty and spoiled and um, really judgmental. And as I worked through it, I, I kind of unpacked this idea that that he 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 was, but that came from a place of um, just wanting so badly to run away from where he was where he came from, that he had this great resistance to his, you know, his quote-unquote home of New Zealand. Um, and so through the editing, like, on the first couple of passes, I had to work to think take a lot. There's still quite a lot of it in there, but to make him not quite so aggressively um, snobby about everything. Um, but in terms of... Um, like in terms of the language and the structure of the sentences, I think I, I like I tend to think quite visually. So for me, I would just imagine what was happening and then kind of describe it. So if that was how it was going, like shifting in and out of dreams, it's, it's really hard to explain. But for me, like that would be what I was seeing, almost like I just made my own movie in my head and then wrote the treatment for it which is like a, I don't know, that's just how it kind of worked. Yeah. And the book is very visual. Like I road tripped across New Zealand in January of this year and the book transported me back. Now, whenever I read road trip novels, you know, my first thought is that the author definitely completed this trip and they're just sort of writing it down. Did travel play a role in you building the book or was it just that sort of trip back to New Zealand that was a spark for you? Well, when I won the Ritual Prize, that was back in 2017 and I was about 35,000 words in and I knew that I was starting to struggle in terms of what Google Images and, um, and Maps could, could do for me. Um, so I got some prize money and I... I used it to go on my own version of, of that trip um, just to kind of really flesh out a lot of the places that Alex visits in terms of not just what they look like but um, what, they, what they feel like, what they smell like, what the sounds are. Um, yeah, so that, that definitely influenced... Um, there were, there were a lot of moments on that trip that I took that really influenced bits that happened in the book, um, from road signs to um, mount, I don't know, mountains and lakes and weird places that I came across along the way. Do you think scenes themselves were built from that experience or was it just sort of fleshing out? No, 100%. Yeah, definitely there are scenes um, and whole plot points in the novel that wouldn't have happened if I hadn't taken that trip. They were based on um, places that I went, like I was coming from Lake Tekapo towards um, Invercargill and there's a huge road sign that says Dunedin is one way and Invercargill is another way. And I never planned really on having Alex go to Dunedin to do what he does there um, originally and then when I saw that sign like I knew that he would stop in front of that sign and he would be thinking the same like making that same decision about whether he should go there or not to see his old childhood friend who's, who's now in Dunedin um, and so their entire um, meeting 
was never in my original concept for the for the book oh wow Um, now music is a core part of the book alex uses music to quiet his brain to remember to forget and to lose himself sometimes talk to us about the power of music in this book I'm a very detail-oriented person, so to me the music that's in the book is always informing the way that Alex is responding to a situation. Um, so if you really, really want to, there's a playlist on Spotify called State Highway 1 OST with all the songs from the novel, um, so you can listen as you read. Um <laughs> But yeah, and it it would just be like lyrics or feelings or sometimes I would think it was like a funny pun with the song name. Um, But that's what Alex uses to detach. I, I, yeah, I guess it just, for me, it not only cemented it in terms of time, because it's set, you know, between 2012 and 2015 mostly. Um, So I really wanted to nail it in 2015 and I spent a lot of time, you know, looking up what was the top 10 songs in New Zealand in the first week of January 2013 or whatever and then trying to find something from that that would convey what I wanted to say. I think that really came from doing a film degree and I did production and you learn that everything is so deliberate from um, the colour of someone's toothbrush to the type of car that they drive to the... Um, oh, I don't know, like the, the brand of cigarettes that they smoke or, or whatever it is. So I, I like those same details when I read and so I wanted every single thing for me that is mentioned in the book is, de- like is really, really deliberate and was like a fully conscious choice. So all the music that's mentioned, um, just I just wanted it. And if you don't know it, it's fine, just skip over it. But I wanted it to be like maybe just a little enhancement for people who might know the songs or would be interested in in them. And why was it so important to you that the novel be set in, you know, 2012 to 2015? Because the first person present tense, it lends itself to this immediacy and yet there is this still sort of there's this distance between us and Alex because at the beginning of every chapter we're reminded this takes place in 2015. Why was that era so important for the story? Um, it was a weirdly happy coincidence. I, I just sometimes pick things at random. Um, I started writing it in 2015 and I knew I, this is going to sound so terrible, but I'm sorry if you're listening, Grandma, but I just picked the date of his parents' funeral to be my grandma's birthday, which is February the 12th. Um, I don't know why, just like, oh, I just had to pick a day. And then I noticed that there was a Thursday and the next day was Friday the 13th. And I was like, how cool to like start a book on Friday the 13th. Um, and I guess, and that those dates just worked. I wanted it to be really concrete in terms of um, when it was. And I also just, I think it was just easier for me to be like, pick songs from 2015. Like then you have specific cultural references that you can anchor it in like movies and bands and um, I don't know, like other things. You know, if Alex is driving a 1991 Mitsubishi Mirage, you know how old it is because it's in 2015. And so instead of 
I just didn't want it to be dated. Like by the time, you know, by the time it comes out, it's five years later. Um, and I didn't want it to be like, you know, like a character using a flip phone or something like, and now. Yeah, no, I totally get it. And the big thing for me is that I'm struck by how, well, it's pretty average length of time to write a book. So you started it in 2015. I'm guessing timelines for publication, you would have finished it early 2020. Would that be correct? Yeah. Well, it was meant to come out in um, May. So I was pretty much finished in February. No, that's not true. I actually sent final edits to my editor the day before they sent it to print. And she emailed me saying it's gone to print. And I was like, I guess I can't make any changes anymore. Um, So right up until April, I think, I was still changing things here and there. Um, But I, yeah, I wrote really, really part-time for two years, like 2015 to 2017. And then that was like 35,000 words. And then when I won the Ritual Prize, I was like, oh, maybe I better take this writing thing more seriously and like actually finish the book. So I finished the first draft um, at the end of July in 2018 and then did my own edits um, until March 2019 and then editing for, yeah, a year and then then it came out. And writing a first book, you learn so much. You know, every editor that I've met has said some variation of the same story where, you know, in an ideal world, an author would write their first draft and then, or not their first draft, the first novel, and then do all the edits, learn everything they can from that book and then shove it in a drawer and start a second book and that second book would come with it everything they'd learnt from the first book and be immediately sort of more confident and you'd know who you were as a writer. I want to know what have you learnt about writing from this whole process that you're taking with you into the second book? Um... Gosh, certainly how long it takes and how much work is involved. Um, when they told me they were going to publish it, I was like, great, press print, there you go. Happy days. Um, and found out that was not the case and that it was going to be another year of, you know, soul-wrenching, um, absolute anxiety-inducing edits and revisions and things. Um, so I guess for me, the idea that now I can look back on that experience that I had and be like, it's okay, like, this is how you're supposed to feel about a structural edit or um, a copy edit or whatever, and um, that will pass, and then you'll be on to the next thing. And I feel like every time I got to a new stage, I was like, oh, my God, I missed the time when I was just, you know, Oh, I miss when I was just drafting. That was so easy. Editing is so hard. And then when I was copy editing, I was like, oh, I missed the structure letter. That was <laughs> and like, and now I know what the whole picture looks like. So um, I have, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to going into the second book, just knowing that I, um, there's time, especially knowing that there's time to get, to, to get things right. Yeah. And I don't have to, it's okay to just leave something and be like, oh, I'll come back to this, you know, next round and fix it then. Um, you don't have to, like, sweat bullets trying to get everything perfect. 
because like I said, like right up until the day before publication, I was still changing things. So, you know, it's like a year and a half worth of mental work that you still have to go even after you think you're finished writing yeah. before anybody else comes on board. Uh, um, just also just how incredibly supportive um, the, the, the other, like everybody else is my publisher at Hachette, my incredible editor who just has so much patience with me um, and my agent who I, you know, would get all flappy at. Um, I, I, I have, my day job can be quite adversarial a lot of the time. And so I think the first time I went into the edit, I, I, I felt quite adversarial about it. It was a hundred percent the wrong approach. Um, and it took a while to kind of get over that feeling that somebody was criticizing me and instead come to terms with the fact that they were actually there to help and they wanted my book to be the best thing it could be. So if they were picking holes in my writing it was because I guess they believed that I could do better and you know I think they were they were right every single time um yeah yeah we actually share an editor and I can attest to the fact that she is right a hundred percent of the time (laughs) Um, but it is that and your experience is a lot like sort of my first experience with editing where you know a lot of debut authors go into the process you know, wide-eyed and thinking, no, this is my vision. I must, you know, preserve it at all costs. But sometimes we need somebody to steer us to make sure that what we think we've got in our head is the same as what we think we've got on the page because Mm. often there is a gap and it's important sort of in editing that we find an editor who, you know, shares a vision for the book that we have and that sort of pushes us. And for those who are listening and may have heard words like structural edit and copy edit um, and not known at all what we were talking about, uh, usually you get two main rounds of edits uh, when you're writing a book. Uh, The first round is the structural edit, which looks at the bigger things that need work in a story like characters that can be cut out, scenes that can be removed, arcs that can be streamlined. And then in the copy edit, it's going through and trying to find all those clunky phrases and getting them out before anyone in the public reads them. Um, now, are you where are you at with your second book? Is it still sort of the planning phases or have you actually started putting pen to paper? Um, yeah, I have started putting pen to paper. I'm three and a half pages in. Oh. Um, so, so it's very... It's already at home, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Um, just to touch on what you said before about, like, you know, debut authors should write a book and then throw it in a drawer and then write a second one. Yeah. Like, I don't have that many ideas, so I'm really glad because I don't think, like... Um, I'm not someone who's got like 50 ideas for the books. I thought I, I was really scared when I was writing State Highway 1 that I would never write anything else and that I'd only have one idea. Um, but luckily one kind of came towards the end. So I'm working on that now. Um, but it, yeah, it's very slow. I, I don't really know what happens in it yet. So I'm just trying to work it out really. Wonderful. And I know that you've been passionate about writing you know, from a very young age, and now I'm going to ask you a really difficult abstract question, which is why do you think that you write? Uh, (laughs) 
Um, because I really want to find out what happens. And I, you know, when you start, like when I started writing State Highway 1, I didn't know everything that happens. I knew kind of what the plot arc was going to be, but all the little detail things that happen along the way, I really enjoyed putting those pieces together. Um, for me, I guess it was kind of like, like building something out of Lego or, or something where you kind of know where you're getting, but it's those little bits along the way where you use the bricks in weird ways. Sorry, I'm like a Lego nerd as well. Um, <laughs> um, but like when you make something that's really beautiful, um, to me, that's, that's, that's why I do it. I, I just, I enjoy um, those little moments of, of story or where I think, you know, those little bits where I think the writing is, is really good. I tend to give myself a really hard time at all stages of the process. I never think I'm any good. But there'll be like one sentence, you know, in the middle of like five pages of rubbish that, that I love. And I, you know, you don't, you don't get to feel that just by thinking about a book. You, you like, you have to sit down and write it. Yeah, and we're all sort of wading through sludge to get to that one sentence that we absolutely love. <laughs> Everyone tends to feel the same. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time today, Sam. It was an absolute pleasure to not only read State Highway 1, but to discuss it with you today. Thanks so much. It was so great.